0: Good to see you guys this morning. Why don't you go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Jonah chapter three? So whether it's your phone, iPad, book, or your Bible, if you don't have a Bible in front of you in the seat, um, underneath the seat should be a, a hard, hard back black Bible that you can use as your own, own copy as well. We're in the book of Jonah. Series is called Toward the City. And so we've been Meshing this together with our series that we did through 1 Corinthians chapter 1-2, chapter 2. we looked at what it looks like to be rooted in the gospel. So now that we, we um, know what it looks like to be rooted in the gospel, we're going to see now what it looks like to stand on that firm foundation and to look at what it looks like for us as a people redeemed by God who have come and covenanted together here in this church to be people who seek to invade our city in whatever avenue, whatever area, whatever ways that God has placed us in, to be agents of mercy, to be ambassadors who extend the gospel of Jesus Christ to those we find ourselves around. So this is our fourth week of a five-week series. Next week we'll, we'll wrap it up by looking at Jonah chapter 4. But I said this week we're going to look at Jonah chapter 3. And what we're going to see is that God is going to extend mercy to two different categories of people. Um, God is a God who extends mercy. If you've ever um, heard of this author, his name's Victor Hugo. Um, pretty famous author. Wrote a book called Les Miserables. Um, you may have seen the movie. People call it Les Mis. Uh, in all honesty, I haven't read the book, but I've seen the movie with Liam Neeson in it. And towards the front end of the movie, you'll remember one of the main characters has a pretty pretty big moment in his life that completely changes the trajectory of his life completely changes and rearranges all the interactions that he has in the rest of the book or the movie whatever you've seen the character's name is jean valjean if you remember he just got released from prison for stealing some bread finds his way into um, the home of um, a bishop the old temptations become too much and what does he end up doing he ends up stealing the silver right grabs the silver takes off gets caught by the gendarmes the police him back to the bishop, they are assuming that the bishop, in a fit of rage, will ex- declare, I want justice. I want this, this guy, Jean Valjean, to get what he deserves. But Valjean does not get what he deserves. He receives mercy. He gets something that he did not expect was going to come. More so, on top of that, not only does he not get justice, not only does he not get great mercy, but he receives grace. If you remember in the book or the movie, whatever you saw, the bishop goes, hey, you you even forgot the two candlesticks, the two things that he didn't even try to grab, grabs those, sticks them in the knapsack of Jean Valjean, and off he goes. And the the language of the book, the, the facial expressions of Valjean portrayed by Lee Neeson in the movie is just one of just being utterly dumbfounded. Like he wasn't expecting that. Mercy was extended to him and it changed his life forever. Mercy ended up working a wonderful transformation in his life and in his character. And to the rest of the story, Jean Valjean becomes a mercy-dispensing agent. So when we turn our attention to Jonah chapter 3, what we get is that same type of storyline through the interactions of God as he works with Jonah, his prophet, and the people of Nineveh. Jonah and Nineveh should have received justice. Up to this point in time in Jonah chapter 3, Jonah has done nothing to deserve the mercy that God has been extending to him. Nineveh is in the same boat, but instead in this chapter of them being people who receive justice from God, what we see in this chapter is Jonah and Nineveh stand out as two bright shining displays of God's mercy. So, when we read Jonah chapter 3 here, what I want you to see is this main theme just weaving itself in and out through these verses. And it is this that God is in the business of extending mercy to the undeserving, God extends mercy to the undeserving. And Jonah 3 is going to give us these two examples. We're going to see it in the life of Jonah, the religious, God-fearing, righteous Jonah. We're going to see that, yes, even Jonah, as a prophet of God, he is in the place where he needs mercy to be extended to him. And we're going to see it in the life of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, that great city, this irreligious, unrighteous, idol-worshiping city. They are people that also just as much need mercy as does Jonah. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 4, and we're going to see that God's mercy is going to be extended to Jonah. Then we'll turn our attention to the latter half of Jonah chapter 3 and verses 5 through 10, and we'll see that God extends mercy as he interacts with irreligious Nineveh. So in your copy of Scripture, if you would, just look at it there with me. Read along with me. I'll read this text. We'll pray and we'll see what God has to say to us. These are the words of our God to us through the prophet Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, Three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. God, you are gracious. You are merciful. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You delight in relenting from disaster and extending compassion. Your ways are marked by a desire to see all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So, Father, this morning, we wish to see Jesus from Jonah 3. We wish to know and feel the truth that we are recipients of mercy. Grace was extended to us and applied to our hearts because You pitied us and had compassion on us. So I pray that You would use us as instruments in Your kingdom. Advancing the gospel of grace to our city. Plant your message in our hearts and empower your words as we speak of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to split the text in half, and what we're going to see is two groups of people who were the recipients of mercy. God extended mercy to these people. and On the front end, we're going to first look at Jonah, religious Jonah, righteous Jonah, God-fearing Jonah. And we're going to see that God extends mercy to this man. So Jonah chapter 3 comes on the heel of Jonah chapter 2. No, No big news flash there. But last week when we looked at Jonah chapter 2, we found a prophet who had survived three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. And through this episode, Jonah becomes an example of God's mercy extended to the undeserving. Now, when you were, if you could somehow approach Jonah and talk to Jonah and be like, Jonah, would you see yourself as someone who was undeserving? He would most likely come back to you no, like, uh, I'm a Hebrew. This is his confession in Jonah 1.9. No, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God of heaven. I worship the One who created all things. I worship the Lord who rules sovereignly over all things. Because I am an Israelite, because I am a Hebrew, I am one who is very much deserving of these things to come to me. In his mind, this is how he would have seen himself. But for us as readers of this book... From the moment that Jonah receives his first commission back in chapter 1 to this moment here at the beginning of chapter 3, we see a steady action in Jonah's life showing that he is not the one who is deserving of mercy. God called Jonah and Jonah disobeyed. God commissioned Jonah to go to Nineveh, but Jonah in turn commissioned himself to go to Tarshish. Jonah's actions were made in decided opposition to God's call in his life. In the end, all of this landed Jonah in the sea, floundering for his life, destined for a death by drowning. Yet in this place, at the end of Jonah chapter 2, last week we saw that the Lord extends mercy to Jonah in this place. Mercy in salvation, saving Jonah. This is Jonah's confession. Jonah 2.9, salvation belongs to the Lord. I have received this. I have tasted this. I have seen this. Mercy came from God. I was crying out to Him. And He responded to my prayer and He saved me. He extended mercy by swallowing me up in this great fish. Jonah receives mercy from the Lord. But this week, the mercy train doesn't just stop back in Jonah chapter 2. It keeps on rolling into Jonah chapter 3. God extends mercy to Jonah once again. As Jonah was vomited out upon dry land, we read and pick up in Jonah chapter 3 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God speaks to Jonah, and this is mercy extended in a second chance for obedience. When you read Jonah chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and the first part of 3, it's the second verse, same as the first. It's nearly verbatim as Jonah chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. On God's part, in God coming and recommissioning Jonah, this is a great act of mercy. By all accounts, Jonah had disqualified himself back in Jonah chapter 1 when God said, You're my prophet. Arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against it. And when Jonah decidedly said, I'm going to arise, not do what you told me to do, and I'm going to flee to Tarshish in that moment, there is this feeling in the sense as readers of this book that Jonah has just immediately disqualified himself. But when we come to Jonah chapter three, what we don't see is God saying, well, listen here, bud, sort of grabbing him by the scruff of the neck. We don't see God calling Jonah and be like, listen, don't be a fool this time. Don't be a buffoon. Don't do this wrong thing. What he doesn't do is come and just grind a screw on them. What he does is he comes to them in a very gracious, merciful act and says, listen, the word is coming to you again. It's coming to you a second time. Listen, arise, go to Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I'm going to give you. If God would have said in Jonah chapter three, verse one, listen, go home. Yes, I extended mercy to you. You were on that death spiral, drowning in the sea. I extended mercy to you in salvation. I saved you from death. But now, listen, you're done. Prophet days are over. Just go home. I'm glad you repented of your disobedience, but you're no longer useful to me. We would call God just and reasonable in doing so. Nobody would point the finger at God and be like, listen, that's just not fair. But this isn't God's way. He sends Jonah a second time to preach a direct message from God and this time we see a response from Jonah that we would expect. Jonah, arise, he goes to Nineveh and he goes according to the word of the Lord. What Jonah experiences was just mercy in a second chance. He experiences mercy in a second chance. But it was mercy extended with a purpose. Because if you'll notice as you look at the book of Jonah here in your copy of Scripture, the book of Jonah doesn't end in verse 3. Jonah didn't receive mercy of a second chance toward obedience, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Close the book. Man, wasn't that story of Jonah great? No, mercy was extended to him with a purpose. Mercy was extended to Jonah so that he could go preaching the message that the Lord was giving him so that he could go to a city that was just in much need of mercy as Jonah was. And God was going to empower the message that Jonah was going to preach so that a people in need of mercy, in need of grace, in need of salvation, in need of hearing the good news of God could hear it Repent and believe God. And that's what you get in that last part of Jonah. Chapter 3, verse 3. Jonah arose. He went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And it continues on. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out this message. This was the message that God had him call out. This is the message that, that God put in Jonah's mouth. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah was shown mercy through the fish and given a second chance. He's being used by God to extend mercy to another group who is undeserving. God is employing Jonah as an instrument to bring mercy to the Ninevites. It's interesting here that phrase in Jonah. Chapter 3, verse 3, that uh, that phrase, exceedingly great city. It could also be translated, it's a great city to God. It's a great city that belongs to God. See, God rules over all things and all the earth. He is the Lord of Jerusalem. And Jonah believes that. But Jonah was also learning that just as much as God is pro-Jerusalem, God is also pro Nineveh. Why? Because Nineveh has people created in the image of God. Nineveh is a city that has people who have eternal souls. And as God is the Lord over heaven and earth, he is also pro-Nineveh just as much as he is pro-Jerusalem. For all their brutality and evil, the Ninevites are still a people with dignity, value, and worth. They are a people with eternal souls separated from the Lord God because of their sin. Mercy wasn't extended to Jonah so he could just sit back and rest in a life of ease. God has a plan for Jonah, and it involves him preaching a message directly from God to the Ninevites. You've guys got 40 days, and if in 40 days full repentance is not seen, not only in confession, but in action proving your confession, then you will be overthrown. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Through Jonah's preaching, God is using this recipient of mercy as an instrument of mercy. So God extends mercy to religious Jonah. Through salvation in the fish, this was last week, through saving him from death, and this week in extending to him a second opportunity to obey. He becomes for us an example of what it looks like to be on the receiving end of mercy. But that's not the only example of mercy. Someone receiving mercy from God in Jonah chapter 3. And this is the chapter where, where, where you would look at it and what we see is most people would be like, well, what I really see here is that the people of Nineveh get what they don't deserve. They are recipients of mercy. And that comes in Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Because if there is anybody, I mean, if you were just to go on the street, most people know, if, even if someone has no religious background, no church background, Most likely, they know about the story of Jonah just because of Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the great fish. But when you step into the church, if most people know this book and you talk to them about this book, one of the great events that pops up on the radar from Jonah 1, 2, 3, and 4 is this. Jonah comes and preaches an eight-word sermon, yet 40 days, none of us shall be overthrown. And what happens? A mass revival breaks out. But if you were to step back and go, okay, There's like four characters in this book. You have God, you have the sailors, you have the Ninevites, and you have Jonah. We'll take God out of the situation here. If you were to look at any of these three other characters, sailors, Ninevites, and Jonah, if there was one group of people that would just be so blatantly obvious, not worthy of receiving the mercy that God can extend to them, most people would be like, man, that's probably the Ninevites. I mean, because they were a, a, just a brutally awful people. There's this quote, one of the uh, commentators said here said, It is safe to say that no people in all the span of biblical history had a worse reputation for brutality and arrogance than the Assyrians. In the chronicles of their reigns, Assyria's kings boasted of their brutalities for everyone to read and hear about. And leading the way as king was one of their kings, was King asser Nasser Paul II, a century before Jonah's times. He said this, I caused great slaughter. I destroyed, I demolished, I burned, I took their warriors prisoner and impaled them on stakes before their cities. He reported a battle where 3,000 were killed and many others taken prisoner. Quote, many of the captives I burned in a fire. Many I took alive. And some I cut off their hands to their wrist. Others I cut off their noses, ears, and fingers. I put out the eyes of many of the soldiers. I burnt their young men and women to death. Like this, one, this isn't a one-time instance. This is like the MO. This is the modus operandi for people of Assyria. The commentator went on to talk about how they would ritually, routinely peel the skin off of people, hang it up, as displays of how awful and how brutal they could be as an instrument to wield terror and fear in people's lives. And the thing is, like this isn't like a newsflash for Jonah. Jonah and his people have been on the receiving end of these sorts of attacks and have this sort of reign from the king of Assyria as he's ruling and reigning over this people, over this area, over that geographic area. And so for God to come to Jonah and say, it's this people the people that are in your mind the least deserving of mercy, I am commissioning you specifically to go with a message that I'm going to give you so that this people will hear, repent, and believe in God. See, the issue here for Jonah isn't so much going and having to say Nineveh shall be overthrown. If Jonah could have showed up and said, this is the message I have for you, Nineveh will be overthrown. Jonah would have ran after that back in Jonah chapter 1 because that's what Jonah wants to happen to the Ninevites. He wants them to be overthrown. But the issue is this recipient of mercy is going to extend mercy and it comes in that phrase, yet 40 days. And that's the bit of the rub for Jonah. Because Jonah realizes that in him saying yet 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown, Jonah knows just apparently as much as the Assyrians are going to know as we read here in a couple of minutes that there is an opportunity For them to repent and to be made right with Jonah's God because there is this time frame. Listen, in this time frame, yet 40 days, if you repent, confess, repent, show actions proving your repentance that you will turn from your evil ways and the wickedness in your hands, there is an opportunity there for you to be a recipient of mercy from God. God empowers Jonah's message. Nineveh was three days' journey in breadth, and Jonah has only gone a day's journey into this metropolis, calling out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And before he can even get through to the other side, people are repenting in mass. Look at verse five. Jonah. In verse 4, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5, he can't even get all the way through the city. And what happens? The people of Nineveh believe God. They're not worshiping Jonah. They're not bowing down to Jonah. They're not just believing the message, but they're hearing the message. God is empowering the message. The message is doing something within the Ninevites, within the city. And what is happening? They are turning and they are believing in God. The people of Nineveh believe God and it's not just merely a confession look at that they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them that's weird for us what's this idea of fasting and sackcloth it's the old testament way of proving that i am truly repentant that's all that the writers trying to say their actions were matching their confession the repentance was far reaching It went from the greatest to the least inhabitants of the city. It was going from the king all the way down to the kids. It was going from every human to every beast. In actuality, the word of Jonah was so far-reaching that this just wasn't a grassroots movement. It went all the way up to Jonah, or it went from Jonah through the people all the way up to the king. Look at verse 6 there. The word reached the king of Nineveh. Whether it was the word of Jonah's message whether it was just the word of the people saying there's a prophet here in town who is preaching that we shall be overthrown, whether it was just a word that the people were believing in God and that there's this new kid in town and he's saying something that maybe we've never heard before, whatever the word is, it reached the king of Nineveh and he also reacts rightly. He arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He himself also puts on sackcloth and he sits in ashes. So not only is it just the king and no one else, and not only is it just the people and not the king, from the greatest to the least, from kid to king, everybody in between is hearing the message that Jonah is preaching, God is empowering, people reacting, repenting, calling out to God. For the Ninevites, this was a complete turn. This was true repentance. Repentance. Their actions are matching with their confession. There wasn't a mere lip service, but they followed through with the desire of their heart. They repented of their evil ways in the hopes that God would relent. And the king even says so in his edict to the people. He says, listen, no, no one right now, man or beast, herd or flock, nobody needs to be tasting anything. We've got something a little bit more important here. No no one needs to be drinking water. No one needs to be eating. But what we need to be doing, man and beast, is all of us need to be covering ourselves with sackcloth. All of us need to be having some sort of action that's matching the confession that we are saying. All of us need to be calling out mightily to God. All of us need to turn from the evil ways that mark us and the violence that is in our hands. Because what's verse 9 say? The king says, well, who knows? I mean, mean, perhaps in our repentance, we will get what we don't deserve. Perhaps when we show God that we really mean this, that we see what this message, this prophet of God is saying to us and our actions rightly accord with our confession, that God will relent. God will extend mercy. Grace will come to us. Maybe we will not get what we deserve. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And in seeing Nineveh's repentance, God does exactly that. He relents of the disaster that he was going to bring upon them. And upon hearing Jonah's preaching, wicked Nineveh ceased to exist and they came to enjoy God's blessing. So when you step back and you look at Jonah chapter 3 and we divide that text in half, that chapter in half, what we see is mercy comes to two different groups. Like, right, when you just step back and you were looking at Jonah chapter 3, and I understand that when I say irreligious Nineveh, what I'm not saying is that they're atheistic because they did have a religion of their own. But what I'm saying is when you see religious Jonah and irreligious Nineveh, what you see is someone who goes, yeah, I'm I'm on the right train. Like, I'm on the God train, the one true God train, that's where I'm at. And then we, as Old Testament readers, will look back and go, okay, yeah, Nineveh had religions, but they were irreligious in the sense that they weren't bowing and submitting their lives to the one true Lord God. So when you see righteous Jonah and unrighteous Nineveh, when you see God-fearing Jonah and idol-worshiping Nineveh, when you see religious Jonah and irreligious Nineveh, what we see is that one group, we can't categorize that like this. Yeah, Nineveh needed a lot of mercy... And Jonah needed nothing because he was on the right side. No, it doesn't matter whether you're irreligious or religious. You need mercy because you're not right with God. It doesn't matter what category you can put yourself into. See, from Jonah 3, we saw from the text those two categories, religious and irreligious. And we also saw that both of these people, Jonah, Nineveh, and the groups, the categories that we're attaching to them, both were in extreme need of mercy. Both found themselves in a place where they needed mercy extended to them from God. Their religiousness alone or their irreligiousness alone could never attain from God what they truly needed. But Jonah and Nineveh had come to that place where they cried out to God for the very thing they could never produce themselves, mercy. So in regard to salvation, perhaps you find yourself in the Nineveh category. Far from God, no, nowhere near God and in need of mercy. Maybe you find yourself, maybe you could describe, like I'm, I'm hell's best friend. Like that's my life. I think you could say that that is the way Nineveh would describe themselves. People irreligious, don't give two rips about God. Maybe you know somebody like that in your life, the guy who mocked your Christianity because he's so much against it, your neighbor who would rather spit in your face when you mention anything about church, let alone anything about Christ and the gospel, the person who is so unrighteous, the person who is so not Jesus, the person who is so irreligious, that person's in need of mercy. That person needs you to open your mouth and present the gospel to them. See, irreligious people need mercy from from God because they are without hope and they are without God. Left to their own devices, they will run hard after the things of this world, glorying in themselves and ultimately receive justice from God. There will come a day when they will get what they deserve for living a life of sin against God and that is an eternity in hell. And we care about that, right? As believers, like that is not our desire. Our desire matches God who desires for none to perish. But in regard to salvation, perhaps you find yourself in the Jonah category full of religious activity, doing churchy things, but you are just as far from God as the irreligious person is. All the religious activity in the world could never garner mercy from God. What you need as a religious person or what you need as the irreligious person is the gracious God to act toward us with mercy. Irreligious and religious people need mercy. See, me growing up, I would be the religious guy. And I was until like I was in my college days. I had the Jesus thing down pat. I was a whitewashed tomb. I looked phenomenal on the outside, but on the inside I was full of dead man's bones. All my outward actions were legit. I grew up in the church. Like the phrase born on the pew would apply to me. I know how to do stuff. I could say the right things at the right time, but inwardly in my mind and in my heart, I was dead. I was a dead man. And for me to come forward at some point in time when I was in college and say, listen, most people look at the person who's into sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? To just use a turn of phrase there. Yeah, obviously that person needs mercy. But not religious John Davis. But that wasn't true of me. God brought me to that place where I saw I was in need of mercy, and it led me to that point where I was crying out to God, and God graciously extended mercy to me through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, this is the beauty of Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He has said He would do to them, and He did not do it. So what didn't happen was this. God didn't look down the timeline of history and see all of the atrocious acts of the Syrians built up and then Jonah steps on the scene and says yet 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown and God goes oh well <laughs> I guess sometimes people will just sin sweep, sweep, sweep sweeping centuries and centuries of sin and atrocities under the rug he doesn't do that. So the question then comes, how in the world can God just dismiss seemingly in one verse in Jonah chapter three centuries of sin and atrocities? See, this is the beauty of Jonah 310. God relented of the disaster he was going to bring to Nineveh and Jonah because ultimately in the future he would take their punishment upon himself. Mercy can be extended on God's part because one day in the future, the Son, Jesus Christ, was going to drink in fully God's justice. In Jesus, God took the world's evil on himself precisely so that he might relent of the need to visit the outworking of that evil on men. The reason here in this instance that God can go, Nineveh, I am forgive, I am accepting your repentance is because God knew that the just penalty due for all of their sin down the timeline of history is going to be poured out on his son. The Ninevites, Jonah, his people in his day were looking forward to it. You and I look back to that time. The reason why we can come proclaiming a message of mercy, a message of grace, come with the gospel of grace on our lips to our neighbors, to our city, is because we can point and go, you deserve the cross, but you do not receive the cross. Why? Because all of the sin and the wrath... That should have been poured out on you was poured out on someone else. And this is the good news of mercy that we bring to our city. Like Jonah and the Ninevites, each of us today needs to repent of sin and turn to the righteous and merciful God of the universe. Our repentance from sin is made possible only because God Himself first relented of evil by taking our judgment on Himself. The good news of grace is that Jesus bore our judgment. So one of the ways I think we can respond to this as believers, the majority of us in this room are believers, one of the ways I think we can respond to Jonah chapter 3 looks like this. Would you step back and look at Jonah 3, what we see, yes, for all the faults and all the foibles of Jonah, Jonah was obedient in the end, right? I mean, he went. God called, take this message. What's it say? According to the word of the Lord, Jonah gets up and he goes. And God is going to use Jonah as a means to accomplish his end. What is God's end? I want the people of Nineveh to hear this message so that they can repent. Jonah was extended mercy so that he, in turn, could be an instrument that is used by God to extend mercy. I want you to think in your mind to your moment of salvation. Those two categories that we're describing, the little tidbit of my life that I just gave you, all of us in this room who claim to know Christ in a salvific way, in a saving way, we can boil it down to these two simple categories. Either you're living an irreligious life, someone shared the gospel with you, God empowered that message. Your heart was turned. You repented and you believed. Or you were running in the religious vein doing all the churchy religious stuff. Someone came and shared the gospel even though you didn't think you were needed because after all, you are religious. But the gospel was empowered by God. The Holy Spirit turned on your heart. You saw Christ for who truly was. You saw through your religiousness as works. You repented of your sin and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. We here are recipients of mercy. Your moment of salvation shows this. You have received mercy from God. This is why you have now been adopted into the family of God. And just as much as Jonah as a recipient of mercy was to be used as an instrument to deliver mercy to people who needed mercy, that is same for you and for me. It is true for you and it is true for me. You and I are to be instruments in God's hand delivering mercy, extending the gospel, preaching good news to those who need to hear. Paul picks up on this, I believe, in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. we, We see a little bit of that here, right? Jonah shows up. He preaches. God empowers. What happens? The people respond. The people of Nineveh believe God. So Paul says something very similar here. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he goes through this litany of questions. Wanting us to make this point, draw a conclusion, connect some dots. Yes, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul is connecting some dots here. Yes, the people of the city, when God empowers a message preached, taught, used by you, wherever you find yourself in life is the means by which God is going to use to see our city turned for the gospel. We want people to call on the name of the Lord. So then the question I extend to you is, how are you and I opening our mouth so that they know that there is a need for repentance? Part of my assumption in reading this chapter is that the Ninevites were kosher with where they were. But Jonah shows up and is like, listen, God is not kosher with you. Judgment is your lot. If you continue traveling the path that you were on, it's going to go bad for you. And God graciously sends a recipient of mercy to extend mercy and says it's not going well for you. And God empowers that message, turns the heart, and they repent. And that is how most of us came to know salvation. For those of you that know our church good, and I'm starting to learn this, there is an Auburn, Illinois contingent here. And one guy, most of you, if not all of you, I'm still, I'm still learning a story here, but most of you, if not all of you, can come and say this. I was treading the path toward hell, very happily, I might add, until one guy named Seth came delivering to us a message very much like Jonah chapter 3. I don't think I'm misquoting this, but for most of you who've told me your story, basically this guy Seth came into your life and said, Listen, I love you, but you're on the path to hell. It's going to go bad for you. Jesus Christ can save you. And God used that simple message. I'm sure it was more than that. I'm sure it was over conversations. I'm sure it was over time. But that is the boiling down nutshell of that message delivered by Seth to these people. And God used that to bring about a revival, a mini revival of sorts amongst this group of people. And hearts were changed. And some of them are sitting here in this room today. We see this in Jonah. We see God empowering the message We see God calling us to take that message. We are all instruments in God's hand to be used by God to extend mercy. So this doesn't necessarily mean, though, that we have Jonah's message on our lips. It could be. It could be that God is telling you to go to work and to say something very Jonah-esque, very Seth-esque, like we just talked about. But it it doesn't necessarily mean that. What it means is you knowing your audience. You talking to your friend, to your neighbor, knowing where they're at. Contextualizing the message of God. What is the message of God? It is this. From Genesis to Revelation... It is you pouring yourself into Scripture. It's you abiding in the Scripture. It's you submitting yourself to the authority of Jesus Christ. It's you understanding that we are to be agents of redemption. And as you bump into people, as you go to and from work, in your home, wherever you're at, we are to constantly have on our mouth the message of the good news. Why? Because that's the way God has said it's going to be. Your friends will come to know Jesus when you open your mouth and tell them about Jesus. Now, one of the great things that we could probably do is walk away from here and go, good grief, I feel incredibly guilty. I wish I would have slept in today. Man, this is the one Sunday I wish I would have not come, you know. Because now I feel guilty. Like, I'm not doing that. Well, guess what? I'm not doing that so great either. But you know what the beauty about Jonah chapter 3 is? Jonah exhibiting this example for us wasn't on his first go-round. Like, I would feel a little bit more crumbier if Jonah chapter 3 verses 1, 2, and 3 happened back in Jonah chapter 1 verses 1, 2, and 3. Because then I'd be like, great, he did the first go around. Like, I never do it the first go around. But Jonah's obedience in this way, the way he gives us an example here, comes upon what? The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Which is good news. Because I need to hear that. Thank God for second chances, Right? Because before I got here, if this was like this book of John Davis, and I was reading John chapter 3, it would be the word of the Lord came to Jonathan Davis the 100th time, and that was before he even got to church this morning. Because I so often find myself going, God, I hear what you said, but are you sure? Really? I don't know. opportunity goes by, and I'm like, skated out of that one only to turn around and see God going, you need to say something here. And I'm like, sure, really? I don't know. What do you think? And then a moment goes by, and the next thing you know, like my whole life's just... I can, if I'm not aware, I can find my whole life being a cycle of Jonah where I'm hearing God, God is calling, but I'm not stepping out and doing what God has called me to do. See, the point of this of this morning is not guilt-motivated evangelism. We've talked about this already, right? What you're not to do is walk out of here and go, okay. I guess I better start sharing the gospel. Shoulders slooped over. Hey, Joe, did you know God loves you? I'm supposed to say it. My my preacher really preached a convicting sermon the other day. That's an awful place to be. What we're to do is walk out of here, not guilt with, with evangelism, motivated by guilt, but what we're to do is walk out of here resting, relaxing swimming in the ocean of grace and mercy that's been given us, we're to extend mercy-based proclamation. We're to extend grace-based proclamation. And so my prayer for us is this, and then we're done. Just like Jean Valjean received mercy then spent the rest of his life dispensing mercy, we too should be, ought to be, God's ambassadors dispensing the mercy and the grace of our God. So where we're weak in this area, Let us fall back on God's mercy and strive to remain faithful to proclaim God's message of salvation to our city. If most of you confess probably the same thing I do, this is an area of weakness. So what I don't do is just sloop over and go guilt and then walk out just motivated by guilt. But what I do is go, man, God, I I confess. I'm not good at this. Help me just to open my mouth to proclaim the message that you've given me. Help me to live a life offering a blank check to You. Holy Spirit, show me. Help me not to rebuke the nudgings of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, are You wanting me to talk to this guy? Getting up in the morning and praying. God, lead me. God, guide me. Who do you want me to talk to? Help me not to rebuke your nudgings. Help me to see and work through my day today with a lens of the gospel, with a lens of the Holy Spirit, knowing the message that has come to me, knowing I desire for other people to know the same grace and mercy so that they can be grouped together all in one at the end of times worshiping and praising God because I want my friends, I want my family, I want my neighbors, I want my city to be there worshiping and praising God for all eternity. I want them to honor God rightly as they were created to do. So God, help me to live a life in this way. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. I pray that you would do a great work. Jesus, I, it is my honest prayer. Christ, my, I hope this isn't meant to be guilt-ladening. And God, the overwhelming task of a city of hundred and twenty thousand people, our desire for all of them to know the gospel, that can be a that is a mountainous task. So, God, I pray that we wouldn't let the mountain-sized task before us shrink us away from the task before us, but I also pray that we wouldn't let guilt or condemnation from the enemy, sink us either. But what we would do is realize that this is a big deal. Let us come and yoke ourselves with Jesus Christ who says, this isn't a big deal for me. And may our lives be marked by resting in Jesus Christ the grace that abounds in Jesus Christ, the fountain of mercy that is Jesus Christ. May we jump in and be washed by Christ in the mornings in this fount of mercy, in this fount of grace, look to the day ahead and go, Christ, my day is Your day. Do with me as You see fit in regard to proclaiming the message. God, we acknowledge that's a dangerous prayer because that's a prayer that You seek and that You desire. But God, I pray that we would be people who pray that so that we would be used as ambassadors for mercy. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.